Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Uh, Mark chapter 13 and verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, okay, so he had been ministering in the temple. We had several incidents in temple chapter 12. One of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. So they're marveling at the temple. A masterpiece is Herod's temple. It's a beautiful building. I'm told that some of the columns were so round that it took four men holding their hands out like this to go around some of those columns. Massive columns, beautiful, ornate a building. I don't know what all materials they were made out of, but quite a, a masterpiece. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Mount of Olives, of course, down the Kidron Valley, and so you stand on the Mount of Olives, you look across, you've seen pictures of looking across and seeing the, the Golden Gate and the Temple Mount. Verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, so normally Peter, James, and here we have Andrew added to it, asked him privately. Now look at the question here. Tell us, when shall these things be? When shall the temple be destroyed? And a second question, what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. In this passage, we're going to say eight signs. Eight signs of these things. The destruction of the temple and the fulfillment of this prophecy. As I preached this afternoon at the nursing home from 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5 doesn't talk about it, but chapter 4 of Thessalonians talks about the rapture. The rapture is the next prophetic event. You can't hardly read it in the bulletin, the little chart, but you can see the last section there is the seven-year tribulation divided in half. And so the next event, or before that, of course, takes the rapture. We believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of those who are in Christ. So that will be the next thing. Jesus is not prophesying about the rapture. The Apostle Paul gave us that information, particularly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So these are not signs for the rapture. They're signs for the destruction of the temple and for when he is going to, how did they say the question there, these things shall be fulfilled. So that's the background here for this. If you jump ahead to verse 8, we'll come back and talk about it, so don't get excited here. Verse 8, the end of the verse, he says, these 
are the beginnings of sorrows. Okay, so what he's going to talk about in these first couple of verses, actually, I think all the way down through the end of verse number 13 is the beginning of sorrows, because as we move to the next couple of verses in Mark, we have the prophecy regarding the abomination of desolation. Look at verse 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it it ought not, it was standing where it ought not to be. So that's the abomination of desolation. And then would be in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. And then, verse 26, shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now that fits with our belief in a pre-tribulational rapture a tribulation that lasts for seven years with the abomination of desolation coming in the middle of the tribulation at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and the second coming of Christ following the tribulation. That's the order that we find here in Mark, also in Matthew 24-25, in this Olivet Discourse. So that's a quick overview. We're not going to cover all that tonight. Surely that's just way too much material. But that's the overview of that. So what he's talking about here in these couple of verses is what he's calling... The beginning of sorrows. The word for sorrows is akin to the woman in travail. We saw that also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, and it will be like a woman in travail. And she has the pangs of childbirth that indicate the child is about to be born, but not yet. And so these signs are the beginning of sorrows. And then when the abomination of desolation takes place, that's like the, that'll be like the ninth sign that Mark is going to give us in this passage, verse number 14. So it kind of all culminates, culminates there. And then the second half of the tribulation is the, if we can say the first half is the beginning of sorrows, the second half is the finishing of the sorrows. And then, of course, the Lord comes after the tribulation. That's kind of some of the background for all of this. Let me go ahead and take you to the book of Daniel just to get an overview of all of this because in verse number 14 he talks about the abomination of desolation and Jesus specifically says this is what Daniel talked about. So let's go to the book of Daniel. The abomination of desolation is mentioned three times in three passages in the book of Daniel. Chapter 9 and verses 25 through 27. Well, let's begin with verse 24. Because Daniel's prophesying the 70 weeks, and there are 69 weeks. He divides those up into 7 weeks plus 62, which of course together makes 69 weeks. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore, and understand, that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem, and I believe that happened in the days of Cyrus, under Ezra's ministry, and then following Nehemiah, Ezra went back to rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah went back to rebuild the wall. So from the going forth, the time from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Messiah the Prince is the Lord Jesus. 
shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Put those together, you end up with sixty-nine weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times, after threescore and sixty-two weeks, that is, after the seven plus the sixty-two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. And you follow the prophecy, and you find out that the Lord was crucified at that time. But not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, I think the prince that shall come is a reference to the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So the Antichrist begins the tribulation with a covenant, probably a covenant of peace, much like we mentioned this morning in the morning message. And in the midst of the week... He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. So put those together, that's the abomination of desolation. It's taking place in the middle of that 70th week, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Daniel mentions that abomination of desolation again in chapter 11. He's giving us some history in his day, remember Daniel is writing in Babylonian captivity and following Babylon is the Medo-Persian Empire and then will come the Greco-Macedonian Empire and then the Roman Empire. And there's much prophecy in the book of Daniel about those things. Daniel chapter 11 and verse number 31. And arms shall stand on his part. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. So in the middle of the week, as nine, chapter 9, verse 27, the Antichrist will make this abomination of desolation. He'll break his covenant that he made with the nation of Israel and will take away the sacrifices from the temple and put in its place the abomination of desolation. Now, in history, we have had a number of pictures of that taking place. It would have been in the intertestamental time when we did our study in geography about that. Antiochus Epiphanes was the fellow that offered a cell on the altar. Remember the, the history we had about the Maccabees, and this would take place between the Testaments, between Old and New Testament. And that history is prophesied in the Old Testament, but we don't have a record of it in the Bible. And he offered a sow, history tells us, on the altar. Sow would have been an abomination to the nation of Israel. And then in 70 AD, when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, they did a, Titus did a, a similar thing. I can't remember the history exactly what he did, but destroyed the temple there in AD 70. And so this will be repeated. Here we have the history, uh, a history being repeated again. So the prophecies are double or triple or perhaps quadruple reference as history repeats itself. One thing I want to bring out in our lesson tonight. So the prophecy of Daniel then has a future fulfillment that is pictured in a couple of times throughout history. Uh, you've perhaps seen me do the uh, little chart with mountain peaks. You have a couple mountain peaks, and as you're like you're driving, it's more pr prominent uh, when you are out west and driving toward the Rocky Mountains. 
And uh, you see all of those mountains from a distance as one mountain. But as you get into the mountains, you cross the first mountain, and then you realize you go down in the valley, and then you're climbing up to the next mountain. You don't see that so much here in the east, moving from where we live in the Piedmont. Uh, well, I guess we're not actually in the Piedmont, but we're down lower toward the Appalachians. It doesn't kind of work that way as much. But And so that's the way I look at prophecy. Prophetically, as the prophet is giving his prophecy, it looks like one big mountain peak. But there are valleys in between. So there are points in prophecy that are fulfilled or partially fulfilled throughout history. And so we see in Tychus Epiphanes, we see Titus there in uh, the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And then, of course, it's going to be fulfilled in the day of the Lord, coming up in the future. So as Daniel's giving the prophecy, it is a, a prophecy that fits more events. Now, Daniel mentioned, are you still in Daniel? Go back to chapter 7, if you will. Daniel mentioned in the middle of the week. Okay, and we're talking about a prophetic week, right? So we're talking about a, an, a week of seven years. The word for week has to do with seven. Chapter 7 and verse 25. Daniel 7 and verse number 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. Prophetically, we're talking about the Antichrist again. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time, that's one, and times, that would be two, so that's three together, and the dividing of times, so that's a half a time. So you have three and a half times, or three and a half years. That is also, I believe, mentioned in Daniel 12, 7. Daniel 12 and verse number 7 Daniel says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into the heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, and times, and a half. And we have that three and a half again. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. In the book of Revelation, we'll not take the time to turn to it, but Revelation 12, 6 there's a mention of 1,260 days. You divide that up with 30 days to the month, that ends up to be three and a half years, or what Revelation also calls 42 months. Revelation 11:2 and Revelation 13, 5 and 6. So we have this seven-year period of the tribulation that's going to be divided in half, the abomination of desolation coming in the middle of that, where the Antichrist breaks his covenant, and so you have three and a half years on either side of that, 1,260 days or 42 months. Again, that's part of the background that the Lord has in mind here. He does not give us these details. He's really not answering specifically the disciples' question. When is this temple going to be destroyed? When shall these things come to pass? What he's giving is signs of when these things will uh, take place. Now, as the Lord is giving this in Mark 13, or Matthew 24, 25, in the Olivet Discourse, the temple will be destroyed in A.D. 70. Okay, we're talking about the Lord's ministry in, what, about A.D. 30, A.D. 34, depending on how you're counting those and what dates you use for the start, the birth of Christ. Let's say A.D. 30, and so another 40 years later, 
would be the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But that was not the fulfillment of the promise. Some people teach, the Seventh-day Adventist people teach this, that A.D. 70 was the fulfillment of all these Bible prophecies. That's not the case. It's still coming. There is a time still yet to be, as we follow the Scriptures through, we can find these things to be the case. Now, what Jesus is doing, this is the last week of his ministry, before he's crucified. He is preparing his disciples for the work that is before them. So, as he's preparing his disciples for his own death, and of course the resurrection to follow, but his departure from the world, he wants his disciples to take over, and he's prophesying, you're going to have trouble. And some of these signs will indicate that trouble. We'll hopefully get into the first or second of these signs here tonight, but we're certainly not going to be able to cover all eight of them. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. After the resurrection, the disciples ask him a similar question. Acts chapter 2. So they've been with the Lord. They have heard this Olivet Discourse on the prophecies that shall take place. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Acts 1, 6. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, in Mark's gospel, there wasn't a reference to the kingdom of God. I didn't look at Matthew if that's part of the questions they asked. But that was certainly in the thinking of the disciples. We know about the destruction of the temple. Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple. So when shall these things be? And so you could possibly have a third question there. You have the destruction of the temple, you have the abomination of desolation, and you have the second coming of the Lord. When are you going to come to set up your kingdom? When are those things going to take place? Again, Mark doesn't mention that setting up the kingdom, but that's in the thinking of the disciples as they're asking these questions. The Lord is, again, preparing his his disciples for this future, and he is dealing with these questions throughout his passage, his answer, when will the temple be destroyed, and what shall be the sign of your return, and the end of the world. I think that's the way it's put in Matthew's Gospel. Now here's the point. It's an interesting observation that I think a lot of people miss on this. That the Scripture's teaching that these signs, these events, cause the judgment of anything. If you look at the fall of Rome, I've never read uh, uh, Gibbon's book on that, the fall of Rome. I've had people comment about it and different things, but I'm sure in there, you can find some of these signs that we're talking about. The fall of any empire, the fall in your life, in my life, into sin, will have these signs, the judgment of the Lord. They're principles. So these events are like sins that cause the judgment upon one thing and are the same events that will bring judgment upon everything else. So we can see the fall, the destruction of the temple at A.D. 70 because the nation of Israel was practicing these sins. We will see the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple in the tribulation because the nation of Israel will be, and the world, will be following these signs, doing these things. 
So what we can learn from that is we need to beware of these things in our lives that will cause destruction. So the signs that surround the destruction of Jerusalem are much the same as the signs that shall surround the end of the world. History repeats itself. Therefore, what Jesus is saying has a double meaning or application or triple, however many you know, applications or times you're going to apply this into your life. So as the Lord is preaching this and proclaiming this to his disciples, he's talking about the last day. What will happen in the last days of anything? This is the way that destruction comes about. So let's keep that in mind as we begin to look at these eight signs. Now once again, a quick overview of this whole passage. In the passage that we're beginning to look at tonight, verses 1 through 13, are the eight signs of the last days. In verses 14 through 23 of the chapter, we'll have the ninth sign, which will be the abomination of desolation and and the great tribulation, and we'll talk about that when we get to that section. And then in chapter 14, verses 24 through 27, we have the prophecy of the second coming of the Son of Man. Again, great similarities between the events of history. One thing we'll also see as we get started in this tonight there is a lot of similarity between what Jesus is prophesying here in the, in the Olivet Discourse and what John the Apostle is preaching in Revelation chapter 6 and following. We'll begin to touch on that this evening as well. Let's think this way. We have these three events. The destruction of Jerusalem and or the temple. We have the Lord's return. And we have the end of the world. We, as Bible students today, I think we understand that those events, the destruction of the temple, the Lord's return, and the end of the world, are not necessarily going to take place at the same time. It's that mountain peak thing that I was telling you about. The disciples, however, probably put those three things together. And so they're asking, when will be these things? When will be the destruction of the temple? What will be the signs of the destruction of the temple, the end of the world, you're coming again, and so forth. So they're thinking all of this is going to take place at the same time. All right, now let's begin with sign number one. Back in our text of Mark chapter 13, and verse number five. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, I'm going to give you eight signs from this passage of Scripture. Okay, They don't necessarily correspond with eight things in the book of Revelation. So, don't get confused or messed up or whatever with all of that. But in this passage, okay, in this passage, according to Mark 13, the first sign of the end of, the time, end of time is spiritual deception by false messiahs. Beware. It says, take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Let's take some time to talk about that one. If that's all the further we get tonight, that'll be all right. Many false messiahs shall come. Notice that he says, there will be many. Not a few, but many. Can you think in history of many people 
who have claimed to be the Christ or a Messiah. Now let me expand that thinking a little bit. Not necessarily saying specifically, I am the Christ. But I am the answer to man's problem. I'm the answer to man's needs. So I think that the Lord is including all of that. There have been many politicians and many religionists who have said, I'm the answer. I can give you what you need. If you follow me, then you'll get what you need. That's a false Christ. They'll claim not only to be the Christ and the Messiah, but the answer to bring in some kind of a utopian state, politically, or it's usually politically or religiously, might be economically, solving the problems, I'll put a chicken in every pot, all that kind of philosophy. Hitler being the answer to the German people's problems. And you can go Mussolini in Italy. You can go to a lot of people around the world in history who said, I'm it. I'm the answer to the world's needs. Doesn't John tell us that there will be many antichrists? Well, that's what we're talking about. Beware lest any man deceive you. The false messiahs, again, are sometimes politicians, sometimes religionists, but in either case, they weld some kind of power, and this baffles me, some kind of power, and of course a proclamation that they are the hope for mankind, Hope and change, right? Hey, isn't it interesting how the Bible talks about these things and warns about false politicians and false messiahs, false religious leaders? And then he not only says there are many messiahs, but they will deceive many. They're deceivers, they're imposters, they're pretending to be something they're not, they're seducers, and of course they're not able to fulfill the dreams and the hopes. You think about all of the imposters and the messiahs and the political gurus and whatnot have come along down through the pike. Have they completed the task? It's just like this morning's message. The Philistines said to Abraham and Isaac on two different occasions, make a covenant with us. Treat us honestly and kindly, they said to Abraham, and then they didn't reciprocate that. With Isaac, they said, do us no hurt. Do us no hurt. And yet they turned around and did hurt to Isaac and to the nation of Israel later. So they never, never fulfill the promises. You can, however, trust the promises of the Messiah. But all of these false messiahs make promises that they cannot and will not keep. That's the nature of the human false messiah. They're deceivers. They're imposters. And, of course, they have to make promises or people won't follow them, right? You're not going to follow a politician and say, well, I can't promise you anything. You're going to elect him. So he makes promises. Well, so do these false messiahs. They're mere men. They're not the true messiah. They're not the messiah of God. But despite this, many will follow them. It just amazes me how in history many people have followed these false politicians, false political and religious messiahs. And then turn over to 2 Timothy 3.13. 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil men and seducers 
shall wax worse and worse. More of them. When we come closer to this time of the end, many antichrists, many false messiahs who will deceive many. Seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, it's amazing when you read a book or an internet website about uh, deceptive false teaching the person writing that book or writing that uh, article on a website really thinks that they have the truth. I think there's probably some who know they're not speaking the truth but act like they do, but some are also themselves deceived. Know enough about the Bible to be destructive. False messiahs. What did Jesus warn his disciples? Beware. Be so knowledgeable about the Word of God and receptive to the ministry of the Spirit of God. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. Mm-hmm.